0: I have a confession. I'm not a morning person. Not at all. Wanted to be. Wished I was a morning person. Not at all a morning person. In fact, never was that so clear or so urgently seen as during my college years. So I went off to college and, you know, in high school you have to get up at seven o'clock or whatever. So by the time I got to college, my First year in college, my first semester, I should say. I thought I was really smart, so I'll just... I won't have any classes before 9 a.m. That seemed reasonable. By my last semester, anything before noon, well, there's no way I was going to that class. So not a morning person. The problem was, is that I was part of this Christian group uh, at college, which used to be known as Campus Crusade for Christ. Now they go by crew, I think it is. And this group was really... they were. We were sold out for Jesus and they did crazy, radical things like have leaders' meetings at 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Now, I was one of the leaders in this ministry and so I felt a certain level of, well, let's say guilt, to actually attend the leaders' meetings on a Saturday morning. And I remember one particular Saturday morning at 9 a.m., I rolled out of bed, it was actually probably about 9.05, and I realized, okay, I got to get there. So I'm racing across campus. Now, it was not a football Saturday. So at 9 a.m. at the University of Michigan on a Saturday, there is no one awake. Nobody. I mean, everybody is asleep. So I'm racing across campus, and I'm already late, and I'm going to a building called the Michigan League. And lots of campuses have buildings like this. This is where like alumni come and they stay. There's sort of like hotel rooms there. You have meeting space there. It's where student groups might have their offices, things like that. So I'm racing across campus to the Michigan League. And I'm I'm basically running because I'm late. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to get up, I might as well get there. And I'm trying to remember, was I supposed to lead a Bible study during this? Am I supposed to do anything? I'm racing towards the Michigan League. And I get in the building and across the sort of atrium or the hallway or whatever it was. I see the elevator and the elevator doors are open and I'm thinking to myself, well, of course they're open. The elevator is waiting for its first passenger of the morning. I mean, nobody else would be up. So there are those doors sitting wide open and so I'm going running now, I'm I'm almost there so I'm, I'm running at a pretty decent clip towards the elevator. Well, as soon as I run into the elevator, I get what I would describe as sort of the shock of my life. Apparently the elevator is not waiting for its first passenger of the morning. Its first passenger of the morning is already on the elevator. He's coming off. So I have no idea that he's there. And so I go running full speed into him, full speed into him. Now, the first thing I realize is that the person that I have run into is a big man (laughs) because my face goes right into his chest. I mean, just right about here. I mean, I just literally, my face is buried into his chest. Now, the problem is I was moving at full speed. My core has stopped, but my arms and legs are still moving. And so I literally, with my head buried in the poor man's chest, I have wrapped all my limbs around this man. And I'm not going all the way around. I mean, it's clear I'm sort of on the sides here. And I have face planted into this man. Now, at that moment, I hear a voice from above me. Now, I don't I can't see his face. Remember, my face is in his chest. And I hear this voice above me that says, excuse me, young man. (laughs) Now, the moment I hear that voice, I immediately recognize it. I know that voice beyond a shadow of doubt. There's not even a shade of doubt in my mind. I know exactly who I've run into. Now, I can't see him yet, but I know. I know absolutely because I recognize that voice. The reason I recognize the voice is because I've heard it thousands of times before, mostly in nightmares as a child. You see, the voice that I know I've heard, I'm absolutely 100% positive, this voice, I've run into Darth Vader. (laughs) I know it. I mean, there's there's no doubt whatsoever I've run into Darth Vader. Now, if you've ever had nightmares about Darth Vader, thinking about running to him in person will get the adrenaline flowing. And so somehow the adrenaline gets up to my brain and I start, you know, at nine in the morning, things are pretty fuzzy, but when the adrenaline kicks in, I'm thinking crystal clear at this moment. And all of a sudden, some questions start to pop into my mind. First, why would Darth Vader have a big squishy chest? (laughs) Second, why would Darth Vader be at the Michigan League? And then third, and most important, isn't Darth Vader a fictional character? Like, he doesn't exist. Like, this shouldn't be happening. Well, at this point, enough time has gone by that I can actually pick my face out of his chest. And I look up, and I'm absolutely right. I've run into Darth Vader. It's, it's Darth Vader. It just happens to be James Earl Jones, who is the voice of Darth Vader, who happens to be an alumnus of the University of Michigan, and was staying at the Michigan League, and is apparently an early riser. (laughs) And so James Earl Jones was getting up for his morning walk, took the first elevator ride of the day, and as he's coming out, he got the shock of his life. Some college kid's wrapped himself around him. (laughs) It's a true story. Now I don't remember what James Earl Jones said from that point on, but he basically, we disentangled ourselves uh, and he went his way and I got in the elevator and I rode up and I went to my meeting. Now the reason I tell you that story is that if it had been you, you would have recognized Darth Vader's voice too. James Earl Jones has a very distinct voice. It's a very recognizable voice. But the truth of the matter is, not only does James Earl Jones have a distinct, recognizable voice, but so do I. So do you. So do your parents, your children, your spouse. I bet that if you were talking to your spouse on the phone without even knowing who had called you within a word or two, you would recognize your spouse's voice. It's because everybody has a distinct recognizable voice but so does God that just like me being a fan of Star Wars I've heard Darth Vader's voice many many times when you run into Darth Vader you know the voice so it is as a Christian God has a distinct recognizable voice And when you hear God's voice, you know it. It's God. He's talking. And so this morning, we want to look together at God's recognizable voice and try to figure out and understand how do you recognize it? What does it sound like? How do you distinguish God's voice from everybody else's voice so that when He speaks to us, we know it? So take your Bible to first and turn to first Samuel chapter 3. First Samuel chapter 3. It's page 192 in the Bibles the church provides, first Samuel chapter 3. While you're turning, let me remind you we're doing a sermon series on the books of first and second Samuel and these books, if nothing else, these are character studies. Like some of the most rich and interesting characters in all the Old Testament are found in first and second Samuel. And for the most part, the characters in 1st and 2nd Samuel divide up into two categories. On one hand, you have a group of people who are outwardly religious only. They go through the motions. They do all the seemingly right stuff, but they're doing it for all the wrong reasons. Their heart is not in it. On the other hand, there is a cast of characters in 1st and 2nd Samuel who have undivided heart towards God. They are fully devoted towards him. They are sold out for the Lord. We saw the contrast between these two types of characters in the first sermon when we looked at Eli and Hannah. Eli, even though he was a priest, was only going through the outward motions, and we know that because he played around at prayer. Hannah, although she had no official religious role, had an undivided heart for God. And we recognize that because she was serious about prayer. Serious to engage with God in real prayer. Last week we saw why she was engaging with God in real prayer. Because he's the one who controls everything. He's the one who can change things. And the reason why the group that is simply outwardly religious is not serious about prayer is because they're not engaging with the God who controls and does everything. Well, Hannah, on the other hand, realizes that if God is in the control of all things, then the very best thing that she can do, the only thing that she can really do, is engage with God. Well, this morning we continue with those sort of thoughts and ideas, but this time the differentiation between those who are outwardly religious only and those who are serious about God and devoted to him. The difference here is not about their talking to God, but in our listening to God. That that's another uh, differentiating characteristic of those who have an undivided heart towards God is that they listen to what he's saying. Now, just like with prayer, 1 Samuel presents two contrasting people. Now, unfortunately, the problem with 1 and 2 Samuel is it's got too much material to be able to cover everything on a Sunday morning. So while we're in 1 Samuel 3, we're going to have to skip 1 Samuel 2, but I want to encourage you. Go back and read 1 Samuel 2 sometime this week, and you're going to see the negative side of not listening to God. We're going to look at Samuel who does listen to God, who recognizes God's voice. That's the positive side. That's the person who is sold out for the Lord, who has an undivided heart for God. But he is contrasted with two people who don't listen to God. First Samuel 2 is about Eli's sons who don't listen to God. First Samuel 3 is about Hannah's son who does listen to God. This morning, we only have time to focus on the positive example but I'll at least leave you with this. The fact that Eli who plays around at prayer has children who don't listen to God and the fact that Hannah who's serious about prayer and has a son who listens to God, that's not an accident. Eli's sons go with Eli. Hannah's son goes with Hannah. And we're going to look at the story of Hannah's son and learn from him how you and I can recognize God's voice when he speaks to us. I'm going to read chapter 3. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely sleep, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls, you say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it of it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible. And he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli. The guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son, Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely. If you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. In this story, there are some distinguishing characteristics of God's voice. In this moment, Samuel is beginning to learn to recognize God's voice. And I think we too can learn about recognizing God's distinguishable voice from this passage. The first characteristic about God's voice is that I don't think he's using his audible voice here. I don't think God is using his audible voice here. The Lord does have an audible voice. The Lord's audible voice is distinct. It's recognizable. When God uses his audible voice, people know he's using his audible voice and they know it's God. Now, the reason why I don't think he's using his audible voice here is because this is a rather rare occurrence for God to speak audibly. So rare, in fact, the scriptures usually acknowledge it by saying he spoke audibly as opposed to simply saying he spoke. It happens on Mount Sinai when the giving of the Ten Commandments, it happens at Jesus' baptism. And in both places, the text tells us God spoke audibly. I don't think that's what's happening here. Rather, I think that God is speaking internally to Samuel. That that's God's more normal way of speaking. That when we talk about recognizing God's voice, we're not thinking about recognizing an audible voice. We're thinking about recognizing a voice within our soul, in our mind, in our heart. A perfect example of how this works is a little later in the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16. There Samuel goes to Jesse's house and God tells him to go to Jesse's house and he says, I'm going to tell you what son to pick as king. And the text says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, who's the oldest child, and thought. Notice he thought this. He doesn't say it aloud. He thinks, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, this conversation is taking place in front of Jesse and his seven sons, the eighth one still out tending sheep. If God was speaking audibly here, everybody would have heard it. What I think's going on is Samuel is thinking to himself, ah, it's Eliab. And God is responding in Samuel's soul and in his mind that that's the more normal mode in which God communicates with us that he speaks to our heart, that it seems like a conversation, but it's actually an internal conversation. In fact, I tell people who are Christians, if you hear God's audible voice, most likely something's gone terribly wrong because God has caused his spirit to dwell within us and his spirit speaks to our spirit. And if his spirit has to leave our body and come and speak back in through our ear, Something's the matter in our fellowship with him. Now, it is true that non-Christians will often hear God's audible voice. And that's because the spirit does not yet dwell within them. So that's why when you get reports about people who have a, a vision of the risen Christ and they hear an audible voice or people hear God's audible voice speaking to them, calling to them salvation, that's not unusual. But for a believer, it may feel as if it was an audible voice because it's so strong. But God's more normal way of interacting with us is His Spirit speaking to our spirit. And so the first sort of distinguishing characteristics, we're not listening really for an audible voice. What we're listening for is something in our soul, something in which God is speaking to our heart and to our mind. Second characteristic from Samuel's experience, God's voice is a personal voice meaning he speaks to us personally four times he calls Samuel by name he's not talking in vague generalities he's not pontificating about theology this is not a moral or philosophical discourse God is talking to Samuel as a person this is amazing to me this is an aside but parents Think about this. The names we give our children are the names by which God is going to refer to them. Isn't that crazy to think? Hannah named him Samuel and so God calls him Samuel. That's his name. But God addresses him by name, personally. Now it's true that he gives him a message for Eli, but the message is given personally to Samuel. That's how God speaks to us as individuals not in vague generalities for example people will often come up to me after a sermon and say man i felt like you were speaking directly to me today sometimes i've even had people say have you been eavesdropping on my life like how did you know well i didn't know but god did and in the midst of this assembly you may be hearing my audible voice but oftentimes it's God's voice speaking in your heart directly to you in your circumstance stuff I could never know about but he does that he's not talking in vague generalities at this point he's talking to you and to me about our situations about things we're going through for example a few months ago I received an email uh, from a person in the congregation this is what the email said hey the sermon nailed me yesterday I've always loved teaching but over the past couple of years it has become much more of a challenge and less fun. My school district will be cutting staff for the sixth year in a row. Pay and benefits keep de- decreasing, class sizes are huge, students are getting rougher, et cetera. And for any of you in the educational world, you could probably resonate uh, with what this person's going through. He wrote me and said, I was praying this very week that God would either give me a brand new enthusiasm for my work or that he would show us what he wants us to do next in our lives. The email goes on to say that it was during the sermon that week that I was using an example, a hypothetical example, about a veteran teacher who was struggling in their teaching assignment and was just sort of going through the motions in the midst of this difficulty. And I used the phrase, mailing it in. My friend wrote to me and says, that was the phrase he had been using all week long. And when he heard it in the sermon, he realized God shone the spotlight on me. Talk about speaking directly! That was not a hypoth- it was a hypothetical situation from my point of view, but from God's point of view, it was not a hypothetical situation. God was speaking personally to my friend in very distinct, clear terms about his circumstances, about his situation. My friend had asked a very specific question that week. God, do you want me to keep teaching or not? And God answered him personally and directly and specifically. That's what God does. He's a personal God. These are not generic statements. God doesn't say things to us like, somebody ought to share the gospel with someone. That's not how God talks. (laughs) When you feel in your soul that you need to get, get out of your house and go over to your neighbor's house right now and sit down and begin to tell them about the good news of Jesus, that's God speaking to you personally about your neighbor and about how best for you to approach that situation God speaks personally to us isn't that great? third characteristic not only does God usually speak internally and personally he speaks repeatedly notice that he calls Samuel four times four times not three after the third time, he goes to Eli and Eli says, go back and listen again. And it's the fourth time that Samuel recognizes his voice. And the point is, we sometimes think that we got to twist God's arm to get him to talk to us, that we're in the middle of a devastating health situation. and We think, man, if I just prayed enough. Maybe I could pin God down. Maybe I could force him to say something. Maybe I could twist his arm. And so we pray for hours and hours and we're asking, Lord, Lord, please say something. Please help me in this. And then we hear nothing and we think, well, I still got to go to work today. And so we go off to work and we're in the middle of a, of a very busy uh, business meeting and our mind is distracted and we think, well, it's going to be during this point that God's going to whisper something really tiny in some crazy way and we'll miss it because we're distracted and it'll be like, tough luck. I tried to tell you, and didn't listen. That's not how God talks. He keeps talking to Samuel because he wants Samuel to hear his voice. And if Samuel hadn't recognized it after the fourth time, God would have kept talking. See, that's the kind of God we serve. We don't have to twist his arm to talk. He wants to talk to us. Because Samuel wants to listen, God's going to keep talking until Samuel realizes it's him. This is the good news about how God speaks to us. Notice he doesn't get mad at Samuel. At any point, now clearly God's mad at Eli. But at any point, does he tack on a, and by the way, next time, let's not go through this four times. No. He realizes Samuel doesn't know what his voice sounds like. Samuel's only human. He's a boy. He doesn't have a lot of experience with this. And so God, in great patience and mercy, you and I would have given up after time number one or two or three and just say, hey, they're not listening. But God, in his great patience and mercy, continues to speak repeatedly to us until we begin to recognize his voice. This is why I tell people, if you hear something from a bunch of separate sources all around the same time, that's a good bet that may be God. Like if this week three different people have told you, you ought to lead a small group. And you think, are they been colluding together? How do they all know this? That may very well be God. Because the first time you might have said, well, that's, that's just their opinion. The second time you might have said, huh, that's a weird coincidence. The third time you might be saying, this is really strange. Well, this is like Samuel. God keeps talking. The first time Samuel thinks it's a human, the first time you hear someone saying you ought to lead a small group, our more natural inclination is to think it's a human telling us. But when you hear it over and over and over again from separate sources and you say, wait a minute, this seems like God. You know, it's okay that the very first time God tells us we, if we don't hear, It's okay because he's a kind God and he speaks repeatedly to his servants. As long as we're willing to listen, he'll keep talking until we recognize it's him. Fourth characteristic about God's voice. It's consistent. He's consistent. Verse number seven. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. That's not a verse about his salvation. This is not a comment to say that Samuel was living for himself and he was in some sort of pagan situation and only at this moment does he decide to follow Yahweh and become a member of God's people. No, no, he's clearly part of God's people. He's been serving the Lord in the temple. He's faithful. He's been given to the Lord. He's actually worshiped the Lord, for Samuel 1 tells us. What's happening here is he's never actually had this kind of experience where he's heard God's voice before. Many of us have been in the same situation. I got saved when I was four years old. At that moment, God was calling me by name into salvation. Nobody gets in unless God calls you by name. But at four years old, who really remembers exactly how that works and what that sounded like? But when I was 17 years old, I had this kind of situation where God was speaking directly to my soul And I finally woke up and realized, wait a minute, this is not a human talking. This is God. And he was speaking to me through his word. John chapter 1 verse 12. In that verse, God spoke to my soul. And I realized at that moment, it's God. And he's talking to me. That's what I mean when I say that he's consistent. You see, Samuel didn't know the Lord because he didn't have the word of the Lord. It had never been revealed to him. But you and I have a very, very distinct advantage over Samuel. We have the word of the Lord. It's right here. We can recognize God's voice because He's already spoken to us and is speaking to us in His Word. And God is consistent. Meaning He says the same things to us in our spirit as He says in His written Word. You see, this is God speaking to us now. It's not God having something to say 2,000 years ago. This is God talking us to, to us now. When we open his word and read it, God is talking. You ever hear some, sometimes people say God is silent? I know what they mean when they say that, and I get the point, and that point is fine. But it's not true. God is never silent. He's always talking. Now, he may not be saying the thing we want him to say. He may be talking about something we're not wanting to talk about right now. But anytime you and I open his word, his voice is being heard always, 100% of the time. If you want to hear from the Lord, open it up and start reading. He's talking. When I read 1 Samuel 3, that was God's voice speaking to us. And the point is, if he's currently speaking through his word he can't be contradicting it by saying something else in our hearts. Which means that the voice you hear in your soul will never, ever, ever contradict what God is saying in his word. Because he's one God with one voice, he can't be saying two different things at the same time. So if you hear a voice in your soul bringing up a sin that you had previously confessed and accusing you of still being guilty of that, I promise you, that's not God's voice. Because he can't at one time be saying in your soul you are condemned and at the same time be saying in his word there is no condemnation. You can't say both things at the same time. He can't in your soul be saying I remember those sins and at the same time saying I have forgiven them and remember them no more. Likewise, if you hear a voice in your soul telling you that what's coming in the future is going to be too much for you, you can't handle it. I promise you that is not God's voice because God can't both be telling you at one time that you can't handle it and at the same time saying you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. That don't be afraid, I am with you. That instead, that voice that you hear in your heart that's telling you, come to me in prayer. The voice that you hear that's speaking words of peace and of joy that's encouraging you to share the gospel, that's telling you to write that note of encouragement. The voice that you hear that's telling you these things that you already know from his word, that's God's voice. And if you want to learn how to distinguish God's voice, the more time you spend with this, the more you'll recognize his voice. The reason I knew what Darth Vader's voice sounded like and I had watched the Star Wars movies a lot, the reason why we know what God's voice sounds like is because we listen to it on a regular basis and when you do, you're going to hear His voice talking to you and it will always be consistent. Last point, God's voice is not only internal and personal and repeated and consistent. His voice also says things that are unexpected and faith-stretching. One of the distinguishing characteristics of God's voice is that He often tells us things we would not have ever come up with on our own. And He often asks us to do things that we never would thought possible. Look in verse number 11. The Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. That's a good phrase, isn't it? That what God is about to tell Samuel is so unexpected that when he passes this news on, everybody's going to be buzzing about it because nobody's heard anything like this before. That's what God usually does. He often tells us things that we wouldn't be able to tell ourselves, we wouldn't be able to think of on our own. They're unexpected things because he's God and his plans are so far above our plans and what he's doing in this world, we can't even begin to fathom. And when he begins to speak to us about it, we say to ourselves, wow. I never would have dreamed that up. It also tends to be something that is faith-stretching. You know, think about what God first tells Samuel. The first thing he tells Samuel is not, hey, you're going to be a great prophet, you got a good future ahead of you, make sure you study hard at college and do good things. The first thing he tells Samuel, who's probably a 12-year-old boy, is I got a message of judgment for your mentor. You as a 12-year-old, I want you to deliver a message to the reigning priest in the land. I want you to tell him that his days are numbered and it's not going to go well. No happy, no happy news. No positive to sort of offset the negative. Wouldn't you be petrified to go share that news with Eli? That's one of the ways we recognize God's voice. He's often calling us to do something more than we can do in our own strength. This is why if you're graduating from high school this year and you hear some voice in your soul beginning to encourage you to defy normal expectations and take a year off between high school and college and go serve the Lord with some sort of mission or do something sold out for Christ, that may very well be God's voice. Because it's unexpected. It's not what society, maybe not even what your parents, not even what, maybe not even what you would have thought you should have done. And it may scare you to death. That's a very good sign that this might be God's voice. If you hear God's voice in your soul encouraging you to share your testimony about what God's been doing in your life, here in front of 4,000 people and you're saying, "Uh uh-uh, I know that's not God. I'm sorry, but it very, very well may be. Because God usually calls us to do things that we are afraid to do and can't do in our own strength. Things that we may never have dreamed of ever doing. Suddenly the voice of the Lord is resonating in our hearts telling us this is what we're supposed to do. And maybe you hear a voice in your soul this morning as we read 1 Samuel 3 and you feel a voice saying you need to sit down with your mentor or a parent or a pastor or a child or a boss or a neighbor and tell them that if they do not turn from the path that they're on that bad things are going to happen that God's not happy with what they're doing. I'm telling you, nobody likes to do those kinds of things. But that may very well be God's voice, encouraging you like Samuel. The very first time God communicated with Samuel, he asked him to speak words of correction and of judgment and of difficulty to somebody Samuel would be petrified of sharing that news with. Which leads to the final observation. The reason why Samuel's able to recognize God's voice is because he's ready to obey it. God gives him a pretty tough task. I mean, right out of the gate, 12 years old, he gives him a tough task. But you see, Samuel's already made up in his mind, whatever God says, I'm going to do. I may not like it, but whatever he says, I'm going to do. And I'm telling you, if you want to hear God's voice, If you want to listen to God, if you go in with the presupposition, well, yeah, of course I want to listen to who doesn't want to hear God's voice, but I'm going to kind of wait and hear what he says before I decide whether I'm going to do it or not. If that's our attitude, we will not hear from him. But the thing I learned from Samuel is, is, look, this boy decided whatever he tells me I'm going to do. No wonder God's talking to him. The reason why there weren't very many visions at the time that he was a young boy is not because God did not want to talk. It's because nobody was willing to listen. Eli wouldn't listen. His sons wouldn't listen. Finally, God found somebody who was willing to listen and not just sit back and go, well, what do you have to say, Lord? I'll decide whether I want to do it or not. Samuel's there saying, speak, Lord, your servant is ready. And if you're the kind of person who says whatever he tells me, I'll do. I promise you, you will hear his voice. I promise you that he will keep saying the thing to you that he wants you to do until you understand because he knows you're going to obey. And so at some point in my life, it seemed worthwhile to say, you know what, if nobody else listens, I want to be a person who listens. I want to be the one person in my family or the one person in the church or the one person in the small group or the one person in my workplace or my neighborhood. If I obey God, he's going to keep talking to me. That's what happens with Samuel. That's why it says his words didn't fall to the ground. What that means is God said, I have a listener here. And when he has a listener, he keeps talking. And everything Samuel did from that point on, that's why his word went throughout the land. And the observation is, is that if we're going to truly recognize and hear God's voice, we have to be willing to do whatever it is he tells us to do. When we're in that position and we say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I promise you. God will respond. And don't worry, you're not going to miss it. If the first time it comes, you don't recognize it, I'm telling you, it will come again. It will come again. Now this morning, we have the opportunity to celebrate communion. You may initially think, well, what does communion have to do with listening to God's voice? Well, interestingly enough, the most important passage in the Bible about listening to God's voice, the one that really summarizes a lot of what I've been saying this morning ties this celebration with listening to God's voice. It's John chapter 10. In John 10, Jesus says, the man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. If you are a Christian, every single person who's a Christian in this room has definitively heard God's voice in the past. It was when he called you to salvation. That's what Jesus is saying here. That in the passage that the good shepherd talks about laying down his life for the sheep, that he talks about our salvation moment when Christ gave his life for us and called us to salvation. The thing that we celebrate with communion... Jesus is saying, the same voice I use to call you to salvation is the same voice I'm using to lead you on after salvation. That what Jesus wants to do is not just die for us. He wants to lead us into the blessings of eternal life. And that when we come to communion, we're reminded that we have a God who talks. We have a God who addresses us personally and individually. And this God has said in his own words... I first want to call you into my flock and then I want to lead you step by step to still waters and to green pastures.